welcome fellow geeks to episode 47 of geeking off the page i'm troy i'm trevor and i'm mike so mr brown seeing you are the uh fall to host uh, lately why don't uh, you start us off with uh, where do we want to go with this all right well so a lot of things have uh come up this uh this past week um so i'm gonna leave uh disney plus's offering for for the end because i'm sure there's a lot a lot to be said about that so uh michael wishes to talk about the orville i know you saw some episodes of harlequin Yep. The new Green Lantern movie, which I'm kind of jealous of because I want to see it. Um, so floor is open, folks. Who wants to start? Go for it with the Orville there, Mike. Okay, before I start, where are you guys at with the series? Doesn't matter. Spoil away. Have not watched but, a single episode. Go right ahead. Really? Yep. Okay. Well, this episode is a doozy. And I've been saying all along that this is like some of the best entertainment sci-fi that we've had in years. Mm -hmm. And every episode doesn't disappoint. So this one is called Domino. And they did a whole bunch of stuff that I was not expecting in a television sci-fi series. So essentially, because all these episodes are really long. They're like an hour and 20 minutes. Like it's essentially feature length film length every episode oh, really oh that's kind of cool so they're not so they're basically taking advantage of the hulu not being an actual network anymore so yeah so it's cool. like they're going all in all right this episode could probably be like the third best star trek film of all time Ooh. which is pretty crazy like you know you got your wrath of con you got undersco undiscovered country you know, like, and then it's somewhere around there. Season three, like episode went... nine of the Orville. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and they did so many things in this episode that I was not expecting. Like, it starts off, there's this whole thing with the, um, the Kalon, the robots, the basically evil Data's Borg type mm -hmm. aliens. So they've been the big menaces all the way along. But, um, there's signs that there could be some humanity. They built some sympathy for them in the previous episodes. And now the gay Klingons have teamed up with the Dominion, essentially. And th so they have this new alliance. So they're going against the Union. So now the Union is completely screwed because they're way outgunned and they can't match basically what these robots are doing. Like they, they are completely outgunned. However, um, what's his name? Isaac and the new Ensign Charlie came up with this new super weapon that can basically destroy all of the robots. And there's this cool scene at the beginning. An entire fleet of these Union ships fly into battle. They form this cool, like a lotus shape. All the ships come together. Yes, Trevor. Is it a giant bucket of water? Because that fucks up any no. electronics. So they form a giant <laughs> bucket of water. <laughs> Essentially, the weapon is the same thing. I mean, it's the same trope they always use. It's like the... Um... Oh, That's what's awesome. the word for it? Yeah, it, it, it's like the cliche where it causes a chain reaction and basically kills everything. All right. Right. Right? It's that kind of MacGuffin. So they've 
created this thing. They've got it in the center. They test it out in battle. All the ships form into this cool lotus shape, like this fractal pattern of ships. And then it fires off that beam and it works. And so now the next thing is they present it to the union and it's like, okay, do we use this to exterminate the entire race? And they're like, whoa, okay, now that's, you know, for defense, yes. But like, are we going to commit genocide? And then that becomes a whole thing. So half the union says, yes, like, let's commit the genocide because they're trying to kill us. The other half is like, whoa, let's not go that far. But then Ted Danson, of all people, takes the damn thing to the enemy. Oh. And if uh, have you guys watched The Good Place? Yes. Yeah. Okay, so the, like we've watched that as a family. It's like, Michael, what are you doing? Oh, Michael always turns. Oh, that Michael. So now the enemies have the genocide weapon and they're willing to use it. The union has to make a choice. They say, okay, we're not going to commit genocide. We have to go get it back. So this is like the first, you know, like 15, 20 minutes of the episode. So now you have an hour left to go. It's like, what are we going to do with an hour? <laughs> How do you top it? Right. So it's like a full on invasion. The bad guys are going to set it up. They're going to commit full genocide. The union comes in. Thousands of ships. Like, it's crazy. It's like a schools of minnows flying through space. Again, like the effects on this is ridiculous. Uh, they have all the personal um, starfighters, which are like Union X-Wings. So they're going in full on combat and essentially have to get the weapon back and stop genocide. Okay. And in the end, there's another character death. And like the fact they kill two characters in this episode. And eventually the robots are like, well, why would they do that? It's like, well, because, you know, even though they hate you, you know, they're willing to give their life to protect you because they're trying to do the right thing. It's like, that doesn't make any sense. So in the end, you have these robots joining the union. And so now, so one side flipped over and became teamed with the bad guys. Now they're Kalon are now teamed with the Union. And like, what a doozy of an episode. And again, the writing is spot on. The action spot on. The characters are spot on. Like, I don't see any flaw in it. The only thing I could say is some of the effects didn't look very good for a movie. For a television show, like, damn, it's impressive. But uh, again, another one. Yeah, the Orville knocked it out of the park. Awesome. And I can't wait to hear, like, when you guys get caught up on this, just what you think of the whole thing. I'm already excited to see it. So I just got to, you know, at some point I got to carve out some time with the wife and then we'll we'll try to get caught up on some of these because it's, it's all sounded really good. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm I, I really want to see this now. I like big space battles. I always have. Yeah, and it's crazy. And when you see how many ships, again, they're trying to save a couple people, but you look at the amount of damage, the amount of havoc, like the amount of ships that get blown up in the process. Like, you know, like this isn't some little like diddly Star Trek next generation battle. This is like full on war. And yeah, it's not a little schoolyard like fight. It's a it's it's having some some real some real consequences to the, the fight. Yeah. Which is great. I mean, because it's i think there's an adage of people who've never been to war um 
we'll never understand the sacrifice that it really is. Um, I mean, because you can read about it and you can, you know, you can go out with your friends and like play paintball and shit like that. But it's, I mean, everyone gets to go home at the end of the day. Yeah, that's the difference between a war game yeah. and it's, war. It's, you know, at the end of the day, you share a beer and you're like, ah, yeah, that was a pretty good shot you did there. Yeah, yeah. In in a, a real conflict, people don't get to go home. You know, yeah. some people just, they don't get to go home and and that's the reality of it. And so when you see something like that on, you know, in, in portrayed in media, if they do it right, it, it hits you hard. Like it's, it's like, I mean, these are people losing their lives and they don't get to go home and see their loved ones at the end of this. So yeah. It's, it's Have you followed right. Jocko Willink at all? What's that? Have you followed Jocko Willink? Uh, the name sounds familiar, but I'm, I'm, I'm not. So he was a guy who, he was a Navy SEAL. And now he does like, um, what's his company? Echelon Front. He, so he started, it's almost like a motivational speaking type of thing. He's been on Joe Rogan a bunch of times. Um, but he's a hardcore dude. And listening to the way he describes being in that kind of combat, because again, like he's a real soldier and he talked about how it was fun. But then at the same time, he talks about all his friends that didn't make it and you know the people who didn't come home in one piece. Like they made it home, but you no, know, it's brutal stories. But um yeah, like just to go along with what you're saying, Trevor, is you know, like look up some of the Jocko Willing stuff. He does a lot of podcasts with other military people and yeah, he's a pretty hardcore dude. So yeah, they were listening, a, you know, look that up. There was a book a friend of ours, a friend of mine named Taylor had me read that um it's basically it's the first person account of um a soldier who was separated from his unit i think it was during desert storm and got captured and he didn't know what happened to the rest of his unit and you know unlike the movies where they teach you know they, they show all the you be the tough guy and you, you you withstand the torture they're told you know don't be the tough guy because they will do things to you that you can't even fathom and he you know he he survived and he wrote this book about you know what what it meant to to basically have to let to let go being like the you know the, the biggest guy in the room sort of thing um he didn't give any information other than his name rank serial number but these people didn't care and sometimes like there were days he was tortured and they never asked a single question and when he finally was rescued and he found that his entire platoon, with the exception of one other guy, was was wiped out. Uh, the other guy basically, he turned right when this guy turned left, and he managed to cross a good portion of Iraq until he got back with friendly troops. And you know, as as he said at the end of the book, you know, all the torture done to him is as horrific as it was, doesn't equal the 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 knowing that none of his friends made it not a single one other than this one guy. And they, they ended up hating each other. Cause the one guy said, you gave up and, you know, got captured. And, and it was just like, it was such a, a, a it was a hard read. It really was. Wow. Um, and yeah, it's, it's, and he even makes the point of, you know, people who've never been in combat, you, you, you won't understand until it happens. You know, all the, all the movies and the books in the world will paint this rosy picture that, it, like when you watch a movie you don't you don't smell the carnage right um it's 
you know, when it's in all of your senses, it's it's such a different thing. So, yeah. So I'm I'm saying like for this this episode of the Orville, if the way you're describing it, you know, it it has that understanding that you know people aren't just ooh pew pew and we're going home and having beers later. Yeah, you know? and it, it again because it's still it feels like Star Trek, like classic Star Trek. So you kind of think that's what's going to happen. Like you do think it's going to be just yeah, go home and have some beers and. No, hooray, another episode done. But no, it's more intense than that. And again, for a show that started out as essentially a parody. Yeah, yeah. I, I basically it's crazy. Dick, dick jokes every every five minutes. Yep. That's that's awesome. I, I like the fact that they're, you know, now that they're on Hulu and they can you know spread their wings a little bit, they're they're trying this stuff. That's that's awesome. Yeah, and I wonder how far they can take it, because every single episode. It's like they keep raising the bar. We talked about this before. It's like, oh, how far do you keep raising this bar? Yeah. The fact that it was like six episodes in and they keep Uh, doing it. Eight or eight or nine. I think this was. Is it that far? Yeah, this is episode nine. Okay. So whatever it is, it's really good stuff. And there hasn't been a low point all season. That's awesome. So unlike other series that we've watched where there's like. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It hasn't fallen off the cliff. Now, something else that happened this week was my family and I finally finished season two of Alone. Um, and turns out I, I, you know, I picked the right guy to win. So now we're in season three. I think the wife and I are going to start season four with basically I think as we're doing every odd number season we're going to watch for the girls every even number season just being my wife and I. So we haven't started season four yet just because our schedules have been crazy. But season three is looking pretty good so far. You know, out in Patagonia. Yeah, it's pretty fun. I, you know, I've been, been, we're four episodes in five, maybe. Um, and, uh, I, I got my money on, on, on Carly from, from Alaska, the girl, she, she just seems like she's going to be tough enough to survive. Like it doesn't seem to be as affecting her as some of the other people who are like, you know, you know, like the guy who cut his own, cut his arm with his ax, <laughs> which was just like, oh, Oh, uh, did you not watch season two? Um, careful with them things; you can hurt yourself. Um, yeah, so so we're it's it's going along pretty good. I I I don't know. I just have a feeling she's going to win it. So yeah, don't there's a whole it. lot of fun things in season three. Yeah, where, like it really makes you think about strategies and psychology, and you see, you know, that rage monster dude who like right out of the gate is just cursing and like, you know, freaking out. (laughs) And you see these other ones who are just completely stoic and you see the ones like, no, I'm going to build a house. I'm going to build insulation. I'm going to build a fireplace. You have to do is like, I'm not doing nothing. I'm not burning any calories. Like I'm just going to sit here. Yeah. It's like, and (laughs) I doing nothing does, you know, it's not like you don't burn any calories by doing nothing. You burn calories just by existing. And that's one f- the fun thing that with the show, how they keep doing the little pop-up information. Yeah. It's like, I'm just going to sit here. It's like an average male of this side burns this many calories just yeah, sitting and burns, doing nothing. Burns 2,400 calories a day while doing nothing. So yeah, uh, <laughs> unless that's really calorie full air you're, you're breathing in, you might want to do something, buddy. Get off your ass yeah. and actually do something. And so, that's for season two, because you posted your prediction on who would win. The night before we were watching the finale, 
Mm-hmm. So I had thought you had already watched it. It's like, no, oh, I no, Trevor, don't spoil it. No, no, I, I hadn't. I, we were still two episodes away when, when we did that. We still had the the, the Spaniard guy, um, what's his name? It's around the time, Larry, and then yeah. the, the the missionary. It's Larry guy. and David, because I know it's Larry David. Like the last two was Larry David. Go yeah. figure. And then yeah, that we, Jose guy. Yeah, the Jose um, guy is one who I would have thought would win it, except they kept showing him tip over. In yeah, the intro. It's like there's no way he tips over and makes it. I mean, if he could, he could have tipped over and just, you know, if, if his tent had been more sealed, he could have basically almost made like a sweat box and just put the clothing in there and just let it dry out quickly. But yeah. because because you said the nature of his tent, you're like, there's no way he's going to dry that stuff. No. So he's going to have to tap. And the fact that he he hits the button and he waited in the water for them to, I was like, well, get out of the water. <laughs> You can see where just like the paralysis sets yeah. in. Like I know and I've been in cold like, water like, things, and like you're just, an old man. Yeah, you can't yeah, do so. it. So yeah, so when it was down alone, to the last we've... two, I was like, "Oh God, who's gonna be? Who's it gonna be? It's gonna be Larry, yeah. who's just so angry at the start, like just cursing at bushes as he's walking around, and yeah, he's trying to stomp down a rainforest. Yeah, and then he has that breakdown into the bucket where he prays to God yeah. to come, come do something for him, and I was like, oh. David's looking better and better. Good thing I yeah. put, my, you know, put him as my lead horse. And, and, and yeah, so that's why I'm saying season three, I, I think my money's on Carly. I think she's going to, I think she's going to do well. I just have, I mean, it's her and who's the other one? Um, uh, the one from British Columbia, uh, uh, Megan. Megan strikes me as one who's going to make, you know, if, if she can go to the end, I think she will. So fingers crossed yeah yeah one thing i uh, with uh season two is david because i ended up looking up him afterwards and he was talking about how when he got to the end like because he was starving for weeks but at Mm -hmm. the end he started catching those crabs it's like i was actually gaining weight like i was in a pretty good spot yeah he was catching fish every day he was getting crabs every day so yeah he had those anointment to clear that sort of thing up yeah, yeah. Well, a long, sharp stick, but kept clearing it up for him. Um, but no, he was he was doing good towards the end there. He he finally fi- he figured out his cove well enough to fish it, as yep. well as where to find the crab. So now uh, again, we're on uh, season again, four. Yeah, yeah. How many seasons is this series currently nine. at? Though they're currently at nine. season okay. nine right now. Okay, so it is a cur- uh, yeah. it's still ongoing and all. Yeah. That, so, so if you yeah. watch History Channel, they're like I right, think right. halfway through or maybe two thirds of the way through right now. Of season nine, which is like this season. Yeah, that's the season my mother's at. So she keeps watching it here, and I have to keep running away. It's like, ah, no spoilers. <laughs> la, 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 this, la, la. <laughs> this is a season I don't want spoilers. It's like, I'm going to turn this up. Why is Mike running out of the room with his fingers over his ears? I don't know. It's happened many times here. Yes. <laughs> now, season four is interesting. I don't know if you look that up. That's pairs. Oh, okay. Well, I, I think we're going to so, be starting it this week with the girls. So maybe. Yeah. Tuesday. It's interesting because it's a new spin on it. So you it's a team of two dropped off 10 miles apart. Oh, and the one has to find the oh, other. Oh, yeah. That sounds so interesting. you get a compass coordinate. Right. And they have to walk through Vancouver Island, which is like a nasty rainforest. And mm-hmm. one of the guys actually says, It's like, yeah, I didn't know why Larry was getting so pissed off, but now I understand it. I hate this forest. You know, it's that kind of <laughs> added. Awesome. So um, yeah, this one's a lot different 
you feel sorry for the people that have to do the hikes, but it's amazing how many guys who set up camp are the ones who tap out and go home. It's crazy. So interesting season for that one. All right. So I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, I think we'll probably is, is, that Monday. Is that the only season that it's done that way? Do they go back That's to the, the only one or? I've seen? Oh, okay. I got okay. The... So you didn't do any other research on any other seasons that are out there, right? No, because it keeps like spoilers come up. It's like, oh, okay. Yeah. Never... yeah. yeah. Okay, no, it's like, then. oh, yeah, yeah. See, season seven is the one with this where these people want to God darn it. Like, yeah, sorry, yeah, I, gotcha. really yeah, bad yeah, at yeah. remembering names. Yeah. So I'm staying like... away from, from looking it up online just because okay. I, I don't just don't want to get this because I looked up something we were watching season one and it was like, I was like, oh, no, don't show me the winner. And it was like, and the winner, and luckily I hadn't scrolled up one. I was like, I'm just gonna close the page. <laughs> yep. I'm, just, I'm not gonna look. Um, and that's yeah. an interesting thing because, like, you know, this obviously is a spoiler cast, and we always talk about things. You know, unless people haven't seen it and say, "No, I don't want spoilers." And you know, we, we spoil say at the, the beginning, hell. we say at the beginning of the show, the, the, the there's a spoiler, like whatever you're yeah. going to be listening to, it's all going to be spoiler. You don't want to listen to it, fine, don't listen to it. But exactly, spoiler. I mean, my wife listens to the yeah. podcast, but I try not to spoil alone because we enjoy it together. So. And that's my point. Like the fact that this weird reality TV show of people in the woods is the one where it's yeah, like, la, 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 no spoilers. Spoil <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. All right. So we're going to switch a little couple of gears here and Troy, you're going to have a lot to talk about because uh, Harlequin, Green Lantern. Spoil yeah, away. Well, um, I'm going to start off. Yeah, with I've the... seen none of those, but spoil away. Okay. So um, have you guys seen any of season one or two of the Harlequin series? Uh, I've caught like a couple episodes of season one, but I haven't been able to keep up with it. Okay, so basically what this is, is this is um, not a kid-friendly program to begin with. Uh, there is, um, it's a very adult theme. It is very uh, deep into foul language and graphic violence, which well, is fantastic. Yeah, no, it's an HBO Max uh, animated <laughs> series. So there was no doubt that it wasn't going to be, but it actually, I believe was a lot more shocking than anybody was going to give it any credit to begin with. So the first season was just blew everybody away. And the best thing about season two is it like followed like a month later, season two. Um, so season three just dropped the first three episodes uh, are up to their first three episodes, which has uh, been released on, um, uh, eight, uh, like I said, HBO Max. And uh, it has not let up any any bit and all that. This first episode uh, picks up, uh, it's called uh, Harley V, Harley Evie, which is their name, their, their couple's name, because at the end of the second season, uh, they become a couple themselves, uh, which is kind of nice. It plays on the, the storylines that have been woven in and out of the lore of both characters, both uh, fanfic and in the actual comic book world and all that and it follows it through to the point where they are now an actual couple um and basically this whole entire opening uh first episode of the season is them on their honeymoon technically as they <laughs> pillage their way through the world they go to different places wreaking havoc and creating violence and all that sort of thing and um we're introduced to what is going to be the underlining storyline of the whole entire season where Harley Quinn decides that she discovers that um, Ivy has had this utopian uh, paradise that she tried to create where the idea that uh, uh, Ivy was going to 
take over the world with this. Uh, she basically developed these prehistoric plants that uh, have come back to life and all that sort of thing, but she only had the ability to create like one acre square. Harley brings her to this location and convinces her to, you know what? I you, You've been following me all this time and all that here. Let's do something for you. So basically Harley's underlining storyline for what we can perceive as the rest of the season is her to basically take over the world with plants sort of thing, like actually take over the world and Harley's right behind her being so encouraging and all that. Um, the second uh, episode, um, they get back with their other cohorts, which is King Shark and um, uh, 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 Clayface. And um, it's it's really fun. Um, Ron Funches does the voice of uh, King Shark and um, Alan Tudyk does the voice of uh, uh, Clayface which is also another kind of thing because uh, Alan Tudyk also does the voice of the Joker in this too. And they're com two completely different. So he does a thespian voice when he's doing Clayface. And then he does a really, really nice interpretation of the Joker when he's uh, being the Joker and all that. Uh, but in this season, um, we are introduced to um, Clayface trying to get a uh, role in a the Thomas Wayne biopic. And it's being directed by... <laughs> It's being directed by James Gunn, actually voiced by James Gunn, which is kind of cool. So James Gunn is actually in animated form, which is kind of cool. And in the third in the third episode, we're introduced to the actor that is going to be playing Thomas Wayne, and that is Billy Bob Thornton. Yes, voiced by Billy Bob Thornton. Nice. So it's it's just fantastic. The voice acting is great. The character just the the character development and the character characterization of all these uh, of all these known comic book legend characters they turn them on their heads like in this uh riddler turns out to get into a relationship with um the clock king um they play up on the whole entire uh batman doesn't eat pussy sort of thing in one episode catwoman <laughs> is during a conversation with a phone face-to-face -face conversation with ivy is apparently having Batman go down on her while she's while she's in this conversation. And apparently he's not very good at it because she basically <laughs> tells him to stop sort of thing. Um, Diedrich Batter is doing the voice of Batman. So the brave and the bold Batman is also Harley Quinn's Batman, which is kind of neat. Um, they introduced the whole entire Bat family in this season so far. So um, Nightwing comes back into Gotham and we are introduced to uh, the rest of the team, which wasn't there in season two, because apparently between the time that passes between uh, season uh, two and three is almost like it picks up from what it does. But when episode one ends, they realize, hey, 18 months have passed. So but apparently a lot more time has gone on because previous to this, it seems like Batman only had Robin. Now he has Batgirl. He has a new Robin. Nightwing has come back and it's just hilarious. And the way that they play in the, the way that they play in the DC universe is just so entertaining. Um, the third episode, there is a uh, basically a, a villains sort of Academy Awards sort of thing where they are, uh, where Harley and Ivy are up for best couple. And uh, so all these other awards are given out and all that. And of course, Joker's hosting. So it's a nice uh, Alan Tudyk sort of thing. And of course there's history between uh, obviously Joker and Harley Quinn because they break up. Um, 
oh, at one point, Joker gets turned back into human form, falls in love with another woman, then gets turned back into Joker, but still is in love with this other woman and tries to do better by her sort of thing. Um, it, it's just, it's something that you definitely shouldn't jump into in the third season. This is something that you do have to watch from the beginning because it is one fluid storyline and individual episodes are fun. They're, they're great to watch and all that sort of thing, but it is such a... Um, an entertaining story arc. Um, Kelly Coco, Kelly Coco from, from yeah. um, Big, Bang, Big Bang, Big Bang Theory, does the voice of Harley. Um, she does a great twist on it. It's it's still in the realm of a Harley Quinn voice and all that, um, but it's a it's a new fifty two design of the Harley Quinn design. I guess this could be more of a new fifty two sort of. Okay universe does she ever into. wear the classic costume in the series she, in, in she does she does in flashback and in the um episode where the joker is in charge of the award ceremony she he has two dancers dancing with him during the opening number dressed in the harley quinn <laughs> outfit um actually the beginning of the whole entire thing is they do you know how they have that little skit before the actual award show begins well mm -hmm. the beginning yep. of it Friggin' Jason Todd is about to be beaten to death. And as he's about to be, as Joker wearing a sequence sort of sparkly purple, uh, like tuxedo is about to beat him, his phone goes off and he realizes, oh, I've got to get to the award show. And then starts in this musical number and all that sort of thing. And it's just, oh, that's great. Yeah. But um, it is something that should be experienced from the beginning because it is um, such a fun series. Uh, and again, it's definitely not a kid's show. It is definitely, but it has such a, a, a so pulled together universe, universe feel to it that it is a real universe. It's kind of cool. It's, it's kind of neat to see something that is for the adult audience that is still a DC product and all that. And it is a very fun thing to see. So, yeah. Or something coming to DC that's not absolute garbage. Exactly. Well, yeah, especially, I mean, DC does. That's starting to happen lately. Like, yeah, DC is, is starting doing to pretty happen. good. It's doing is has always been good with their animation. I mean, their 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 director video movies are usually a, a higher mark above because we know what Marvel yeah. can pull off and all that sort of thing. And of course. There's occasional sort of things that don't quite work out, but for the most part, DC is doing fantastic because they decide to do individual stories, individual universes within their movies. There's barely any ones that are connected to another. If there are, they're loosely connected, but stuff like like, like this, this Harley Quinn series, it being its own separate series is fantastic. And it just borrows from and it's and it's very very funny too which is which is what the series really needs to to be so yeah that's i mean i i cannot uh, uh recommend it highly enough because it is just it it it's one of my favorite things and it's kind of neat to see yet another twist on my favorite character the joker i mean still he's a crazy guy but what they put that character through is just so different and so and it pays off and it's it's so fun to see oh 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 yeah Forgot to tell you this. Mm, I don't know if I should ask. Ah, spoiler cast. Second season. Spoiler cast. Go for it. In second season, Harley Quinn kills like five major villains, including the Penguin. The Penguin is in this universe dead, which is kind of cool. Oh, and uh, Joker finds out that Batman is Bruce Wayne. 
Okay. Well. <laughs> it's a fantastic sequence. Do yourself a favor. Look up that clip where he's, and then because he gets to the point where, ah, uh, it's just something you got to see. I'm, and now I'm doing this, which should be tons of fun. And I'm bored. What is wrong with me? You're a sociopathic narcissist. Which was rhetorical, asshole. And who do you think you are, a psychiatrist? Let's find out. What? Bloody hell. But it, it's billionaire playboy Bruce Wayne. No, no. Are you shitting me? What is wrong with you? Don't you think I would have done that had I wanted to? Half the fun of our relationship was the mystery. Now I know Batman is just some boring rich asshole with parental issues. That's really reductive. Thanks for ruining the funniest <laughs> thing I had going. Now I don't even feel like torturing him. S sorry, I, I, I thought it might be the kind of thing Harley would do. I don't care about Harley. Oh, oh, I'm sorry, look, I, I must have misread the situation when you kept saying her name and reminiscing about all your memories together. Over and over and over Ah, <laughs> uh, not even that was fun. Wayne Tech promised an electric car by this year. I put a deposit down. Where's my goddamn electric car, Bruce? It's just so, so fun. But um, yeah, so that's, that's what I got to say about Harley Quinn. So far, third season, uh, every, I believe it's every Friday they're releasing a new episode. It's only a half hour long and uh, it's, it's a fun series. So. Okay, I got a big question for you, Troy. Yes. If you pit this against Batman animated series, Batman animated series. So that one still wins. Oh yeah, because they're because it has so much more longevity to it. I don't know if okay. I like. I mean, I haven't gone back to watch any of the Harley Quinns yet, right? But I have my PVR grabbing like the animated series every single time it comes on. It's like, oh, there's a new episode on. Oh, which one is it? Oh, I don't like this one. I'll just get it off and all that sort of thing. Like I've. The animated series also hit, I mean, like it hit us all at that time. We were into that thing. That was mm -hmm. the core of our being. And it, so, again, beautifully written. So it's the exact same that Harley Quinn has. Who knows? In like, if this lasts the five, six years that it's apparently supposed to, it could be rivaling that. But again, you can't show everyone this. I can show Batman the Animated Series with my daughter right and she yep. enjoys it because she likes the characters she likes seeing and all that sort of thing i am definitely not showing her harley quinn <laughs> while she is a big harley quinn fan thanks to tara strong i am definitely not showing her this harley <laughs> quinn for the longest time so okay but, so here's another question uh, yeah. which is a problem i've had with batman for a long time like i have not been able to show batman to my kids mm-hmm for decades except for a few animated things that have come out like it's right. it's become adult so with this series do you think it would be better as something that's more kid friendly like could they strip out the hardcore stuff make it more family friendly and make it work um i don't think so because a lot of the storylines themselves are very adult like there's relationship stuff there's um there's like the first season goes through the whole entire actual thing that other series didn't deal with was the abuse that Joker gave to Harley Quinn. And the reason okay. why Harley Quinn is trying to get away from Joker and how she tried the longest not to and how 
So stuff like that is the core to this story. It's it, and again, it is a Harley Quinn story. Batman is a tertiary character. I mean, uh, the Riddler is more of a main character than Batman is in this. So it's it's, and Batman is not in everything. Commissioner Gordon is so. Oh my God, Commissioner Gordon is such a train wreck in this. He is uh, is fantastic. He's a guy, basically, on the edge of losing everything, but still trying to do what he thinks is right to save Gotham. He just keeps digging himself in a deeper, deeper hole. In the first season, Batman has disappeared. So Batman doesn't show up till like near the end. So Gordon is going off on the whole entire, where is this guy that's been helping me try and fight all these villains and all that sort of thing. It's just, it's just, oh wait. Oh yeah, Harley Quinn also kills um, Freeze. Freeze is dead now. And I'm trying to remember, there's some other one that I can't remember that's a big one, but I can't off the top of my head think of what it is. But again, it's just a fun series and the fact that king shark and clayface are her like cronies sort of thing so it's it's just really it's really fun i like like i said earlier i cannot recommend this any higher right now the first two seasons of harley quinn the animated series on hbo max is 13 episodes each so but again watch from the first so it's a it's a quick watch and again they're half hour episodes and yeah so all right, so on the other hand, um, I also got around to seeing the uh, latest uh, animated feature released directly to home video, like whatever, digital watch and all that sort of thing. And that is uh, that is going to be called the uh, Green Lantern Beware My Power, uh, which was released on J July 25th uh, of uh, this week uh, when we were watching it uh, the year 2022, just in case those from the future are listening in or those from the past that are listening in time travel Whoa. um so this basically yeah yeah this this uh, basically gives us a story of uh where john stewart is uh, given the uh mantle of uh the green lantern so it goes through that whole entire sequence and all that um it's one of those um more modernly animated where um everything has like the dark outline to the uh the animation and all that it's very um very sharp angles on the faces and all that sort of thing. Technically looking, it's really kind of cool and all that. Uh, the unfortunate thing is um, it obviously looks like more than one studio worked on this. I didn't have the time to investigate into further and all that because every once in a while, you know, those thick lines aren't so thick in some, uh, some shots. And unfortunately, sometimes it's uh, in the same sort of sequence and all that. So like they cut away and like, hey, why did that guy have like a really thick... Uh, line around his nose and the next one it's like a really pencil thin sort of thing but um that's not really part of the uh, problem um they give this is an exposition movie um this is an hour and 27 minutes of exposition of the uh, dc universe oh boy uh we are we're introduced to um one of the guardians crashes outside of um john stewart's house and that's all they seem to do yeah, exactly. He's like, uh, you have to save us. Uh, the guardian disappears. Uh, the ring gets onto his finger. It. Uh, I. 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 I cannot remember for the for the sake of me whether there is a communication that goes on between the ring and its bearer. Like, do you communicate with the ring? Does does a lantern communicate like verbally with his ring? I think when it first gets on, there's almost like a. Okay, there is uh, introduction okay. package yeah. of like yeah okay hey, hey, okay hey. yeah all right all right so yeah so and then from that so point on it's it's a good portion of the, a good portion of this story is obviously John Stewart 
who doesn't want to be a Green Lantern, tries to figure out how not to be a Green Lantern. So he talks to the 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 ring and it takes him up to the um the justice league satellite oh, the watchtower yeah, the watchtower thank you the watchtower and uh where uh there is a very limited amount of people on the watchtower uh there is um there is a green arrow there is martian manhunter and there's oh no the uh the 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 female hero that uses the different uh, animals that she uses cheetah? Uh, oh no no no, no 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 she becomes she has the little oh the, she was oh, like the necklace yeah the necklace where she calls upon like the power of a tiger or the power mm-hmm. of a rhino or something like that to get the strength and just get in, whatever in and all post. that anyways it's those three because apparently everyone else is busy um superman they actually they actually name drop that superman and wonder woman are off world and nobody else can help and we have to figure oh, they're out they're not off world they're doing hero gasm yeah it's a, it's a hero gasm thing yes now that we know yes it's definitely hero gasm but um <laughs> It's it's just a interesting way, and then uh, so they go down. So uh, John Stewart and um, Green Arrow goes down because, as it turns out, um, he's got um, oh, what is his? Who's the other? Not Guy Gardner, but Hal Jordan. Hal Jordan. He's got Hal Jordan's ring apparently because the ring tells them that uh, it used to be Hal Jordan's ring, which of course is the Justice League's. Uh, Green Lantern at this point, and uh, apparently, you know what happens. The only way you can get a ring is by killing the lantern, and that's how it comes off their fingers. So, so uh, Green Arrow is very invested in finding out what happened to them. So they go back to the ship. The ship has repaired itself. They hyperdrive back to the lantern home planet. It's been decimated. Oh. Um, uh, all the guardians are dead. All the uh, all the, the the lanterns there are dead. Um, it looks like they were attacked from above. Um, and they in uh, they don't actually call her Hawk Girl, but they encounter Hawk Girl, so she's introduced to the story. Um, and then uh, she turns out uh, two rivaling uh, nations were at uh, war. She tried to come to them to help the lantern to get the lanterns help to help her protect her planet because apparently the Hawk people, which I should have written down the names of the races and all that, because it's just because mm. they keep throwing them back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And it's just, again, we then get an introduction to this war between them. We get an introduction of what the Guardians are. We get an introduction of who Sinestro is. Three times, if I'm not mistaken. Um, we get an introduction to, yeah, exactly. It's, it's, it's a slog, unfortunately. And again, it's very well animated, but it just doesn't seem to be well written cohesive yeah it's definitely not well written it's it, it it looks neat um we have we start off the movie with a flashback of john stewart who apparently is encountering uh, uh ptsd right hmm. for obviously because he uh ends up like friggin' backhanding a guy and choking him because he like like excuse me hey guy you want to move out of the way because you're blocking the thing so when he taps him on the shoulder John Stewart flips out, knocks the guy over and all that sort of thing. And like, hey, what's your problem? Like, sorry, have a good day. Sort of thing walks off. And like, he's then having flashbacks to like, obviously when he was during the Iraq war, because that's the war you do now, because you can't have modern day ones be Vietnam or whatever, your war of war of choice to come home from and uh, not have uh, done very well uh, at home. So, but it comes up several times, but it really doesn't 
link much to the actual story. I mean, mm. it sort of does because he's seen too much killing. That's why he's not going to kill. But lanterns aren't supposed to kill anyway, sort of thing. Um, Unless you're entire, a red lantern. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Turns out Hal isn't really dead. They faked his death. So then because Sinestro and turns out uh, it's just I don't even feel like spoiling it. It's just not even worthy of it. I mean, <laughs> I I did not I did not I will say that I did not pay for this uh, viewing. Um, I did what I sometimes do because it's not available anywhere else, and then I just like oh let's put this on my phone and sort of thing. So it was perfectly fine for an hour and a half sitting there off my phone that I didn't pay anything for, and I was watching it in between doing other things. That's what this movie's about. I watched it in a couple of chunks. It just, it didn't hold my attention throughout it. And again, it looks pretty. It's it's pretty well animated. The effects are kind of neat, but it didn't really feel like a cohesive. And from what I said just before Harley Quinn, how DC's animated movies are usually pretty good, but this just not that interesting, unfortunately. Do you know if they tried to base this on any comics? I or think is this like hundred percent original? Or? No, no. I, 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 I did happen to see because I wanted to see who these people were, and apparently they pulled from a couple of different storylines and all that. You know okay. how they piece piecemeal this story yeah. together, and again, yeah. it also explains why there's so much exposition in it. Um, so I mean, it's 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 just. I mean, I, I I wouldn't recommend watching it unless you're a diehard DC fan. I mean, if you enjoy, Can't like the Green Green Lantern. If you were a Green, I'm I'm also not a huge Green Lantern fan. That also might be a problem that I had too with it. I mean, I mean, throwing in Hawk Girl and all that sort of thing and whatnot just seemed like I don't know. It's they had to get a team together. So let's introduces another character and he becomes part of the team and introduces another character and he becomes part of the team but then there's this big villain turn at the end of the movie that's not really too shocking because yeah well the big bad turns out to be hal jordan at the end of this yeah. sort of thing and it's it's yeah because of the sinestro no no what's the parallax what's the, Parallax, thank you. The parallax gets into him, and Sinestro thought, "Ah, this will take him over, and I'll be—he'll be my my crony." And then it turns out, nope. Hal Jordan overtakes the uh, Sinestro. The be parallax. Bitch. Yeah, exactly. And <laughs> Sinestro, who has to pretend to be the guy in charge. Yeah. Well, that, who gets I mean, a that, who that gets an arrow through? The... Who gets an arrow through his chest? So Green yeah. Arrow kills him to save John Stewart, which is kind of neat, but yeah, the the whole Hal, fall of Hal Jordan is like a, it was a big plot point for the for the DC universe. Yeah, um, where he basically he destroyed the entire Green Lantern corps and and a lot of them. And yeah, then his, yeah, yeah. His fall and then he his ends rejection. up with like a, a handful of ring green rings on his thing. And again, um, would be a cool story if it weren't the last forty minutes of this hour and a half movie. I mean not even maybe 35 minutes like oh, once God. they find him and then but the reveal is in the last 10 minutes not even so i mean it's it's just it's just not it's it's too much thrown into too short of a thing if it had been like a part one a part two like when mm -hmm. batman did the uh the long halloween or the killing joke they broke those up and or dark knight returns they broke those into two parts they part one and a part two this would have been so much better because you could have find a really cool place to put a cliffhanger in it 
And then it would you would have to feel like you've gotten all this information. And again, I'm pretty well versed with the DC universe, but I was just given so much stuff in this little amount of time that I it just didn't feel like I think they just tried to push too much onto your plate and you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. This is a buffet. I'm gonna have a little bit of a time. I don't want to sit down <laughs> and just have one helping sort of thing, which is what I ended up getting. So no, eat it, Troy. Eat no, it. I don't want it. No, you I'm took done. It, you no, eat it. get it away. No, I'm full. I don't even have any room for ice cream now. You took it, you eat it, you clean that plate, damn it. <laughs> but I didn't want this much. But yeah, so <laughs> it's unfortunate because I was actually kind of looking forward to seeing this because I'm like, ooh, DC movies, uh, animated movies are usually pretty good. But yeah. uh, this, unfortunately, not so good. Not so good. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, so S- Disney Plus dropped a, a, I mean, we'd seen a teaser for it, Light and Magic, uh, basically the ILM story. And this uh, this past Wednesday, they they dumped the whole thing on us. Six episodes. The shortest of these episodes is like fifty five minutes. Yeah, yeah. But they, they oh no, sorry, and that's 50, like one of the first ones. Fifty four minutes. Yeah, but they go up to like sixty five minutes. Some of these, and they. It, what's nice? Um, yes, this is produced by Disney Plus. Yes, they own ILM, but they don't sweep the the dark side under the rug they they show it all they show both sides and they start right from the beginning when you know lucas is like all right i'm gonna make this movie i don't know how and you know he goes to an effects company that one of the only ones in la and they're like we can't do it uh here go see this guy dyke john dykstra and let's see what he can put together for you and it follows the first two episodes is all about the creation of the effects for Star Wars and just the the sheer volume of stuff they did to get it done. And I mean, it was eye opening. It really was. Um, so yeah, it's it, fun watching it because, like, again, like the effects industry is established now, and even back mm-hmm. when we were in college, you know, it, they kind of figured things out computers were new but you know they were figuring things out but this it's like we don't have a camera that can do that yeah they have to actually build the computers we have to build the whole infrastructure and luke's like why do you only have two shots it's like because we have to make everything yeah we they, they spent half the budget um just making the equipment so that they could start creating the shots and Lucas gets back from, from London and he's like, they showed him two shots and he's like, well, we're at the rest. And it's like, we're still making the equipment to make the rest. Yeah. My and... favorite part, my favorite part is seeing the old footage. And again, I, I'm going to, you guys, I'm pretty sure are well aware of most of the people that they were introduced to. I mean, you mm-hmm. know of their names if, or you probably have seen their faces because I mean, we're, freaking geeks that way and all that we like to see the behind the scenes stuff and all that and i've seen footage of most of these guys and all that yeah. but the amount of like old footage of these pioneers of this amazing company is just so fascinating to see and i'm like where has the shit been all this time how come no one has brought this it's up it's been so sitting far? in the archives exactly and, and, like and whole movies 
Yeah, like, I, I should have seen that water slide years ago. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's what I was gonna say. Exactly. Like, yeah. Oh my god. So, stuff like that was, I mean, because a lot of these guys had been filmmakers or at least like you know home movie makers before they they so they just kept making the home movies while stuff was being done. That and was again, the fun thing to watch is the whole yes. movie. Yeah. And yeah, the home movies were making, was like fantastic. where they came from. Because, yeah. like you said, like we know the names, but I didn't know the backstories. Like yeah. I didn't know they got a job in something else. Yeah. But yeah. they were doing this on the side. And yeah. again, the idea that they didn't have videos back then. They didn't have, like, you saw it in the theater. You know, you watch the yeah. Harryhausen effects. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But then it's like, well, I can't see that again. But I want to try and do it myself. Yeah. You know? yeah exactly. And yeah, yeah. see all these things that they were doing. Amazing. And I'm sure, like, all of us have that in our life where oh, you're yeah. exposed to something and it's like, I'm going to do that. that I want to do that. Yeah. Yeah. You start making the home stop motion animation or you start making home videos or you know you start doing your own prosthetics or like whatever it is yeah. like you start creating because it's like i love this i don't know how the hell they did it but i'm going to try it exactly and you see like that's the foundation of ilm and you, you see how some of the bigger names got into the project mm -hmm. and you see their contribution the fact that they were still cutting and mixing the week before the movie was coming out, like yeah, up to the last couple of days, they were still doing the final sound mix. Yeah. Um, and the fact that Lucas just went to Hawaii, he didn't want to see the opening. He, he just thought it was going to bomb, and and that the whole bet between Spielberg and Lucas for one one point, you know, one percent of your movie's budget, uh, movie's uh, uh, return, and uh, the <laughs> Spielberg was like he made me a rich man. Um, yeah. So yeah, so so one episode for people listening, episodes one and two was all about Star Wars, the creation of the, basically the creation of the industry that ILM had to do for just for Star Wars to get it off the ground, and then three is when they're like, well, we'd like to do a second movie, and what they had to do with ILM during that gap while Lucas is writing that movie, and so they moved the 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 entire they, originally they were in Van Nuys in this old warehouse. Um, that's the industrial part of industrial light and magic. <laughs> and uh, they moved up to, to San Francisco, but a lot of the key players went except for John Dykstra, you know, mainly because, so he was in charge of ILM during star Wars. And the, I guess the arguments between him and Lucas were legendary you know, it was just two chafing personalities. And when Lucas had the opportunity to move everyone up, closer to to you know san francisco he just let dykstra go let him twist the one and it's not like dykstra didn't have a career after that um there was some legal battles between because dykstra was doing battlestar galactica and lucas claimed he was using um you know basically the stuff they learned while doing star wars into battlestar galactica which was originally supposed to be a movie and then got turned into a tv series and so on and so forth um and then uh, we see, I think episode four of this was uh, John Knoll, who is a huge member of ILM, especially computers. The fact that he and his brother were the driving force behind Photoshop, something we've all used. So when you start up Photoshop, you see that splash page, you see the Knoll brothers as two of the leads on it. Um yeah, it was them doing Photoshop. And the the whole that episode's called I Think I Found My People because Noel, you know, as a 15-year-old got to tour ILM. I would have 
died at 15 if I could have oh, done for it. sure. Oh my god, yes. Um, and yeah, thought he found his people. So we went to the same film school that Lucas went to, you know, got a chance and made his own motion control camera, and that's kind of how he got his foot in the door in ILM. Um, and then episode five is st- where they started bringing computers in, they morphing uh Willow, that huge morphing oh, nice sequence. Nice. Yeah, they talk about how they did it practically and then how they use software to make those morphs work and um and a lot of the how lucas was trying to uh bring ilm and the entire film industry into more of a digital age uh digital editing with droid which was the name of their editing software the pixar animation computer um you know all the trying to take everything into a digital medium and they talk about the abyss uh, episode six really talks about a lot of the CG. So um, the hiring of like Steve Williams and and Mark Deep doing the Abyss, you know, Terminator Two, and then the big tentpole that really put ILM into mainstream consciousness, Jurassic Park. So with the with Jurassic Park, I mean, they go over a lot of the what you know what was going on behind the scenes. And I liked the fact, so a little side note. So in 97, uh, Steve Williams um, came back to Sheridan College, um, taught a class in in the the, the computer animation department and had this big, um, basically almost like a big presentation where he talked to us for like almost three hours. Spaz, right? Spaz? Yeah, Spaz. And he laid it all out. What was going on behind the scenes? And... He and Dennis Murin are not best friends. I'm going to say that right now. Because uh, for years, right up until I think this documentary, um, Murin always said that, you know, he felt ILM could do dinosaurs. Now, you find out that during the course of this, that Dennis Murin uh, met his wife and his wife um, was the woman that introduced Phil Tippett to his wife or, to, to, or, or Phil Tippett's wife to him. So they were, Phil Tippett and Dennis Muir were best of friends and their wives knew each other. And, you know, so originally Jurassic Park was supposed to be done by Phil Tippett and his team. Um, and up until now, Dennis Muir has said, you know, he thought that ILM could do the, the dinosaurs digitally. And, you know, and so when back in, was it 93, I think. 90, that sounds about right. Yeah, 93, when... Jurassic Park won the uh, Oscar for for visual effects. Dennis Muir was one of the first people running up on the stage to to collect his Oscar. Um, as a side note, the guy has had fifteen Academy Award nominations. He's won nine times. Um, he has the the or eight times. Sorry, he's won eight awards, nominated fifteen times. He has the record for most Academy Award nominations and most award wins for visual effects. Um, so back in 97, when Spaz had left ILM, he had nothing good to say about Dennis Murin. Basically called him, you know, basically a thief. That he was sitting atop the shoulders of people who were actually doing the work to collect the rewards and lying through his teeth about it to do it. So at the time, we were like, oh, God, um, is we didn't know what to say. Well, you know, you didn't know what to say. Is, is this true? Is this just, you know, is this sour grapes? Like, like what's going on? So when this, this show came out, when Light and Magic comes out, 
there is Murin is sitting there and he's like, yeah, I didn't think we could do it. He's like hundred percent did not think that ILM was capable of doing dinosaurs. And there's a couple of sections where they, they talk with spaz and, and they talk about the fact that him and deep went back to the pit, which is where they, they had this little soundproof room where their, their computers were and they went in late at night and did it, you know, basically under the cover of darkness sort of thing without anyone knowing. And when they showed Kathleen Kennedy and a couple of the others, suddenly ILM found the money to funnel some money into the project to see, could they do a fully skinned dinosaur? Cause up in that point, it was just a skeleton walking. So they fund, funded some money in, see if they could do a fully skinned dinosaur. They brought the other resources of ILM in to like, you know, do some, 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 some texturing of the skin and all that sort of stuff. And, it was just a simple walk cycle, but that was the one that they famously showed Spielberg and and crew and where um, Phil Tippett said, I, I, you know, I feel like I'm extinct now. And, you know, um, and that's when they said, you know, well, they know they, they hired Tippett's crew to come in and with the DID, the dinosaur input device. So Tippett's animators were animating the dinosaurs digitally. That, you know, that information was being transferred in the computer and then the animators at ILM were like cleaning it up and stuff like that. Um, but as I said, for up, up until this documentary, the official uh, statement was that Dennis Murin was the driving force behind creating these digital dinosaurs. But at this point, as you know, with the, this, it kind of validates Spaz in saying that, no, Murin wasn't behind them. Um, but he was quick to, to, to jump to the stage on, for the Academy Awards to accept that Oscar. And that was part of the friction of why Steve Williams left ILM. Because um, after Jurassic Park, he worked on The Mask as a supervising animator, uh, was actually part of the team nominated for Academy Award, but didn't win. But he said from that point on, from Jurassic Park on, he did The Mask, a little bit of Jumanji, and Eraser, but was felt like he was he was being handed uh, projects that were not Oscar worthy. Um, so they elevated his role to a supervising animator, but put him on projects that would not put him on a podium. And he finished out his contract with Eraser and with basically a giant fuck you, and went to work on Spawn. Um, Deep left at the same time. He was the director on Spawn. Spaz was the visual uh effects guy like the the effects director the only other thing he's done is he did the, the movie the wild that horrible animated one um and then he's Which done was, oh, wait, he Toronto. did that he he, he was did, the director on the wild he was the director on the wild oh i didn't know that yeah um and Ooh, since then he's just done commercials now as a side note um there is a documentary about spaz came out this year back in march called spaz um, it's not streaming anywhere. It hasn't been screened very well. But the, the synopsis is Steven Spaz Williams is considered a pioneer computer animation. This intimate account examines his life story and events surrounding the historical moment when digital dinosaurs walked onto the silver screen in Jurassic Park. Steve and a chorus of expert witnesses recount the dramatic tale of rebellion and revolution at Lucasfilm's Industrial Light and Magic in the early 1990s a time when creating realistic creatures with a computer was considered impossible. Decades later, Steve struggles to, to reckon with his chaotic past. Um, really? Yeah. Have you watched it? I haven't seen it yet. I want to. Um, just because it sounds 
very interesting. And a lot of it comes from that talk that he gave to all the computer animation students. It was just like, it felt like a guy who was kind of bearing his soul and warning. Cause I mean, at the time, everyone and their dog wanted to work for ILM. Oh um, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I applied to ILM on, on several occasions and it was difficult um, getting my foot in the door. Most of it stemmed from they did not, they because they had so many American um, schools pumping out animators that they were like, you know, we'd rather just hire an American versus going through the whole visa bullshit to get a Canadian. Um, and I mean, at the time I was like, you know what, fuck it, whatever. Um, I'll, you know, whatever it takes. And, you know, I pretty much forgot about it. So jumping back to 97, when he gave this talk, it was like, he sounded like he was trying to warn a lot of us away from ILM. And, you know, now seeing this documentary, this light and light and magic documentary, I can kind of see why I can see what's going on behind the scenes. Cause as I said, they, did not hold back on this documentary. They showed you the good with the bad. Yeah. Lucas at one point saying that, you know, movies are special effects. And then almost immediately it cuts to like three other directors saying, no, the story is the most important thing. And it was just like, oh, because I remember Mike and I were talking about the fact that, you know, the, the prequel movies felt like Lucas got so in love with the, the special effects, he kind of missed the story. Yeah. Um, and in essence, it, it basically his documentary says kind of the same thing that, you know, he was when he felt like he could make the, the, the prequel episodes, he just he got lost in the weeds when it came to the computers and just, you know, the story kind of fell to the wayside and it felt that way. Now, that's one thing I think. And I've always said that about the original Star Wars is obviously Lucas had this amazing idea. He was able to pull everything together. He pulled the people together. But I mean, it's documented how it was. He was basically having a nervous breakdown towards the end. Yeah, yeah. the movie yeah, was yeah, saved yeah. in the editing, and it was the people around him that basically made everything happen. Right, so he had the right people around him to take all the genius ideas that he had, and you know, the people who were making the story, like you know, Joseph Campbell, you know, giving the heroic myth archetypes and. You know, all the people making models and the effects, like all that stuff came together. It's like this weird synchronicity that just kind of coalesced into this greatest movie of all time. Yeah. But in a way, like in a lot of ways, it was a bit of a fluke. Like even though it was genius, if all the other stuff wasn't in place, it wouldn't have happened. I mean, this... then Empire was like lightning striking twice. Yeah. Like, like Star Wars. I mean, they, I mean, they should have all been buying lottery tickets because there was just so much luck involved that it all came together and worked. And yeah, by the time they got caught around to Empire, they they had kind of streamlined some of the process. They had kind of rubbed out all the rough spots. So when they got onto Empire, they could get it done. Um, but making Star Wars, I mean, they they didn't know if they were going to make all the shots. And I mean, by today's standards, Star Wars does not have a whole lot of effect shots. No, no, for sure. Um, but, you know, when you're breaking that much ground, you know, making motion control cameras and you're, you know, coming up the fact that so they even showed a sequence with, um, you know, I think it was the last episode 
talking about the Mandalorian and the volume and the LED stuff and and the fact that once they had announced, you know, the model department made the Razor Crest, and John Noel took it upon himself to build a motion rig for the Razor Crest, so that there's just one scene they used it in where it's it's a, a big flyby as he's flying away. They use it in the first episode, and well, I remember watching that episode of The Mandalorian and seeing that that it's just a flyby of the Razor Crest as it's leaving the planet and going. This is Star Wars. That felt so Star Wars because yes. it's not a digital model. Yeah, exactly. It's, yeah, for sure. It yeah. it had the imperfections that a hands-on model would have. And it just, to me, it was like, from that point on, this is Star Wars. Like that one scene cemented it as a Star Wars production. And because they were using a practical model, they used a motion control camera. Yeah, they, you know, they superimposed the star field and compositing and the planet and stuff. But it just, it worked so well. And the fact that it was, Noel was like, you know, just took it upon himself to do it because like, you know, he just wanted to do it the way it had been done back when they did the original movies. Because that's been a the... fun thing with all these series. It's like, especially with Tip involved, you know, because once he saw Mandalorian, it's like, hey, you know, we'll do a couple shots. Mm-hmm. So the fact they got to do some stop motion in there. Yeah, and yeah, exactly. Again, yeah. That feels like Star Wars. It does. It does. And it's it's yeah, it was just a this was a, a really fun documentary to watch. Um, I highly recommend it for anyone who's interested in visual effects. Um, it's just because there's it covers such a wide range, and as I've said, they don't hold anything back, they don't hide anything, they don't disguise anything, they don't omit anything. If even though it hurts the company or if it hurts the image of a person, they still show it, which is how a documentary should be to show both sides, show all sides. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. And it, again, it's all Disney, which is, I mean, obviously you're coming from Disney and all that sort of thing, but it just a, it was a fascinating, fun watch. So, it was. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I agree with the dog. Um, I will say though, so it's funny. Um, so I, uh, I have my master's degree in animation, um, and I got it through a, a company or a school in, in San Francisco. I did it all virtually. Um, so I was living in New York state while I was doing it. And, uh, so one of the, my graduate, my, my graduate coordinator, Tom Bertino. So he worked at ILM with Spaz on the mask, was actually nominated for an Academy Award. Um, So he was my graduate coordinator. And he had uh, an animation supervisor from ILM was one of my animation teachers for, for one of the classes. And one of the assignments we had was we were given a scene that had errors. Um, A scene in Maya that had errors. And we had to, we had a full week to, try to figure out what the errors are, come up with fixes and resubmit the scene. And it was just like, it's a character walking into the scene, steps over something, reaches down, picks up a coffee cup, kind of looks in the coffee, like examines the coffee cup, puts it back down. That's the whole scene. It was not even like nine seconds long. Very, very short and to the point. Um, but the problem, the problems were like the character does not reach his mark in the scene. He's like off by a little bit. Um, when he goes to reach, it sounds for the like cup, vocab cleanup. When he goes to reach for the cup, the cup kind of like jumps into his hand, like he's using the force. 
um, and his feet are sliding everywhere. It's like he's walking on ice. And so I got the scene and I was immediately like, ooh, let's see what I can do. Um, and I was able to use like a, a couple of constraint systems to lock the feet because the person who had animated the scene had animated the character's master null. So instead of moving the body and then moving the feet so the feet would lock into place, he was moving the whole master null. So he's actually counter animating the feet to try to keep them in place. So they're kind of like jiggling and sliding on every frame. Yeah, that's a rookie move. It is. It is. So I used constraint nulls to kind of lock things, his footprints in place. I used a null on top of the mass null to kind of slide him over so he lands in his, his mark at the end, uh, fixed his step over so he actually stepped over the object that was there, and then used a constraint system that as his hand got close, second the hand would make contact, the constraint took over, and now he was holding the cup and interacting with it and setting it down. Very simple. Do you still have the animation? No. I mean, I might have it somewhere, but I don't even think I have a version of Maya that would run it. Um, because I was running, I think, Maya 2015 at the time. Anyway, I get the scene done in about three hours. And so I resubmit it. Like, So I, we had a live class. And at the end of the class, he's like, here's the scene files. And this was at like uh, 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time because it was 3 p.m. his time. And by 9 o'clock Eastern Standard Time, I submitted the file back. And the next day, he's like, you have the whole week to work on it. I don't need it until next week. I'm like, I'm done. And so he looked at the file, and he's like, son of a bitch, you, you did get it done. And all the all, and because you had to list all the things you did, all the corrections, or all the, the mistakes you found, and then how you did all the corrections. And he was like, that was inventive and faster than I expected. And I was like, all right, so go on to the next thing. And I forgot about it. I completely forgot about it. So... Right towards the end, like about two weeks before I graduated and got my master's, Tom Bertino says, do you want to work at ILM? And I'm like, uh, he's like, now this was like on a, on a Friday night because we had a, 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 like a graduate class with him. And he's like, if you want to work at ILM, be in San Francisco Monday morning, 830. Uh, the guy whose class you just finished taking We'll walk you through the the hire process. You'll be sitting in your at your own workstation by noon. And I'm like, I can't. I've got my family here. I just I can't pick up and leave. I can't I can't do it. I can't walk away from my family for a year because um, we'd you know, Fred wasn't even a twinkle in anyone's eyes yet. But we had the girls. Josie was starting. Um, she was going to be starting kindergarten soon. I was just like, I can't. I can't do it. And it's funny, you know, if I had been asked that 10 years previous, I would have dropped everything to go. Times change. Yeah, family changes things. So, yeah, it was, it's, you know, as I said, you know, back in when I first graduated from Nation, or even 10 years later, if I'd gotten an offer like that, I would have jumped in it in a heartbeat. 2016, and I'm like, no thanks. Um, and I... I know for a fact this is when Mare's listening, this will be the first time she's ever heard this because I never told her. I never told her I got the job offer. Just really? Because it's because I know she would have said, go for it, go do it. But I also know there's no way in hell it would have worked back home with me in San Francisco. It just wouldn't have worked. I don't know and, how many times I've known animators that have taken that job and they've gone away for however many months or even years. 
And that's something that I was never able to do. It's yeah, like, no, I, I just, it's a package deal. Move out as a unit. Exactly. And the thing is, Mare was, you know, she has her dream job and her dream location. She always wanted to move back to the, the capital district where her parents are. She's working at the, the place she wants to be. I couldn't say, oh, well, just let's just pick up and go to San Francisco. I, 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 I can't ask that much of her, especially, you know, we have two little, at the time we had two little girls. So it was easier for me to just say, you know, thank you for the offer, but I can't do it. Now, here's an interesting thing. After all this COVID nonsense, it's going to be interesting to see how things change with all these remote jobs now, because it's already been proven over the last two years that you can do animation remote. Mm-hmm. And like, where do things go from here? Like, are studios going to, because obviously there's a lot of intellectual property and you want to keep you know, things under wraps. But at the same time, as everything's been shut down and things are being outsourced and people are able to go back to their home because it's like, hey, we can't go into the studio, but we still got to get this movie done. And it worked. So like, it's going to come to a time where, you know, maybe you can have that job, right? Exactly. And stay where you're at. Like it, the future is going to be really interesting for this kind of stuff. It, it was, it's just, yeah. So that was my connection to ILM was that. Now this <laughs> kind of segues into We've been having some tales from the world of animation. I've had a couple of turns. Michael, it's your I thought turn. you filled that segment already, Trevor. I don't think so. Okay, tales from animation. So this one, and this is more of a fun story. I'm not going to be throwing dirt because reasons. But <laughs> so a fun story. Um, this is back working at Tippett Studio. And again, this was a dream job for me. Like Phil Tippett was the reason I got into visual effects. Like it was either animate Bugs Bunny or do cool AT-AT walkers, you know? And after drawing for three years in animation, it's like, I'm ready to, you know, put the pencil down and start doing other things. So we knew that we had a limited window because my daughters were growing up and we wanted to get back home by the time they started school. So. The last sort of kick at the can of doing something really cool is like, I have to work on something awesome. You know, it has to be a movie. It was, I was looking at either Sony or Tippet. I was hoping Sony Spider-Man, but they wanted me on Casper. And then at Tippet, it was like, oh yeah, we're working on this thing, Hellboy. It's like, what? <laughs> you see the right-handed doom. It's like, yes, I will do this. So move to Tippet went through Hellboy and after that was Constantine. So while working on Constantine, um, actually back the story up a little bit. Tippett did this thing Thursday, Thursdays, like basically every week. So all the company would get together in the parking lot and have beers and, you know, family could come. It was just a big social gathering that they would do. So on this thirsty Thursday, Erica came with the girls which you know all the people at Tippett called the kitchenettes and <laughs> they were in the parking lot and hanging in the parking lot was the demon from Constantine so with the head chopped off oh yeah okay and it was an amazing model is the prop it had the, all the controls where you could manipulate the mouth and the hands it was just hanging there like this weird demonic creature and it was under a tarp but you like you could touch the skin and it felt like skin. 
And it was one of those moments as a father. It's like, do I introduce the girls to the demon? <laughs> I think I probably should. So I brought them over there, you know, unleash the drapery. And they're ah, completely terrified. It's like, girls, it's okay. It's just a puppet. Like, you can actually control it. It's like, what? So I show them all the different remotes. And then they just start, like, puppeteering this gigantic demon life-size creature in the parking lot nice and they don't seem to have been traumatized since <laughs> <laughs> haven't had any therapy bills yet yeah so that's my tale from animation that's cool sweet it was short sweet to the point i guess exactly yeah all right so i want to just um i think uh we're probably going to be coming up close to the end of our particular uh uh show here so there was another movie that was released this week, and apparently I've been in some sort of uh, DC uh, rut this week, and uh, I was able to take my daughter to go see in theaters uh, the uh, DC League of Super Pets. Now, for those out there who are interested in seeing this and all that, I'm not going to do very much spoiling, but I'm going to say that this is probably the funnest kids movie I've seen in the longest time. I mean, any of those uh Disney's like I was a big fan of Encanto I really enjoyed Turning Red um I think the last kids movie we saw in the theater was Frozen 2 pre-pandemic and all that and they're all entertaining and fun to see and all that this movie I think because of that whole entire DC thing in the background it was such a fun thing to watch it felt like something that came out of a Marvel Universe sort of story where there's all these other stories that you know about because you know the characters. They don't go off on some sort of strange. These are basic versions of all the characters, but it is a movie that is like all your typical kids' movies nowadays. It's made for the kids and there's segments made for the adults and the fact that they overlap so beautifully makes this such an entertaining movie. I mean, you've got fantastic voice acting. Um, they're all like to a T. I mean, like you've got obviously, you know, Dwayne Johnson and Kevin Hart are the main characters. They are Crypto and they are uh, uh, Ace, uh, Batman's dog. Well, who isn't Batman at this time and all that, but is not Batman's dog at this point. It's isn't until the end. Um, but you've got uh, you got kind of a cool thing because you got a Marvel character, Marvel actor now coming over to DC, where John Krasinski now plays Superman. So he's Mister Fantastic and Superman in the same year. Um, Kate McKinnon as the main bad guy is fantastic. She does. I mean, Kate McKinnon. Even though you don't see Kate McKinnon, you no, it's Kate McKinnon behind this voice. Like she is this SNL character that she is and all that. And Mark Maron doing Lex Luthor is just so precise on point and all that. Um, there's a couple of like things that you actually have to listen for as well. Uh, when they introduce all of the, the super, like the, the Justice League characters, they're given like a title card, like photo frame sort of thing as they introduce the character and then they introduce wonder woman it's the like tv series font of wonder woman with her pose and if you listen closely you hear 
dun 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 dun. And then when they do Batman, it's dun 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 dun. Superman even gets the dun 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 at one point nice. and all that. So there's if you know your history of DC, it's so beautifully done. And this is a fun watch and it's a fantastic uh dc movie and i am so glad i saw this movie today to basically get friggin the green lantern movie out of my head sort of thing so it was um it was a A healthy cleanse is a good thing it was a great cleanse and again it's it's a buddy film it's i mean the the rock and kevin hart together yet again yet again um but it is it is it is like like Again, it's a cartoony movie, so there is a bit of off-character squash and stretch sort of thing, but it's very still within the feel of a really well-done animated feature. And the way they deal with... I mean, you'd figure how you get rid of the Justice League. It makes sense how this happens. And it's, it's, just, it's just a fun movie. And again, I highly recommend going to see this movie or seeing this movie as soon as possible. It's a fun... It's it's nice to be able to be able to witness a movie like this. And my daughter was laughing along at all the parts that little kids would laugh along at. Um, she, I think, even got a couple of the bigger jokes just because she lives in the household that she lives in. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, so again, a fun movie. Except like don't want to spoil too much of it because I think this is something that you just have to go in and just watch for yourself because... Um, even those that are not with kids, they're probably going to, if you're a DC fan, you're going to enjoy this movie. So, yeah. Question for you. Yes. Would you recommend Super Pets or Harlequin more? If you had to pick one to recommend If I most? had to pick one to... I would have to say... I would have to say League of Super Pets because it's a one-time sit. You sit down, you, you're there for an hour and a half just you know it's just over an hour and a half not quite two hours well what is it it's 107 minutes i think is how long it is so but it doesn't feel like that which is kind of nice um there's not too much you have to absorb to enjoy the whole entire movie and then you can just like hey that was pretty good harley quinn you sit down with the first episode i guarantee you you're going to binge the whole entire series and i i did the i did the in between takes i looked it up it's 13 episodes 13 episodes and right now there's only three so there's quite a bit of harley quinn to sit through you're not going to be able to sit through it in one league of uh, super pets is a fun and it's a family watch too that's the other thing too if you've got a family i would say super pets but you know what if it's that does make a big difference yeah it does make a huge difference but i would still out of the two because harley quinn you you're not going to sit there and sit one one episode because if you have them available to you're going to watch as many as you can basically your ass can take you sitting through and all that but <laughs> league of super pets is a fun romp through the whole entire thing and again they're both fun they're both hilarious very well written very well performed but i would definitely of the two i would do super pets just for that whole entire anyone can watch it sort of thing this is the fifth movie with Kevin Hart and Dwayne Johnson, isn't it? Something like that. Yeah. Yeah, it's got to be the two, two Jumanji's, Jumanji's. Central Intelligence. Central Intelligence. The Fast um, and Furious Hobbs and Shaw. And well, okay. I guess technically, yeah. No, yeah. yeah five. 
There you go. Well, it seems like it's, there should be more than there. Somewhere. There should be, but yeah. they just, they oh, there just will do, be. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, there definitely will be, but yeah. So I would definitely recommend this. So awesome. Any other closing thoughts from anyone? All what do we got coming up? Fat people use more soap. Yes, exactly. Yes. So we've got, um, we've got uh, coming up next, we got uh, the uh, Disney plus I am Groot coming out the shorts. Yeah. Yeah, which is I think only six shorts, and they're only like about like ten minutes each or something like that, which yeah. will be cute. I mean, it looks cool because it's the animated Groot from. I'm I'm sure Ramona will watch them to death. Oh no, I have no doubt Aslan will be watching them too. Well, I'm I mean, just... I'll put them on. I will put them on, and Aslan will watch them with me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, she's she watched the Sea Beast three times, so. There you go. Oh, is that good? Is it good? It's it's a fun watch. It, I mean, the... yeah. Ramona, we we watched it as a family the first time, and then she watched it on an iPad. And then during her birthday, she had me throw it on the TV for for a third time, and she watched like most of it. Oh, that's it, great! It is that's a fun a great watch. thing. Okay, and it's a Netflix, right? Netflix, yes. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Cool. Because I was looking at that the other day. I'm like, I've heard good things about this, but yeah, no, that's that's great. Um, because I think in like a week or two, we have is it She Hulk that drops? Yes, She Hulk drops in August. Yeah. Oh, speaking of that, I did finally watch the trailer because last podcast I hadn't seen it yet. Right, the the latest now, trailer. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. the two things I loved was the fourth wall thing, talking to the yeah. camera. Yeah. That was amazing. Daredevil was epic. Yeah. But the other stuff, I'm cringing over this whole, like, what is it, phase four that we're in, where right. they keep emasculating the male characters, raising up the females, and it's like it's just starting to get tiring. Like Marvel's all about male power fantasy, and this phase seems to be it's like, oh my god, I can do so much better than you. Now, even to the point where Hulk's throwing boulders and she Hulk's throwing it farther, and you know, Hulk's doing the meditation pose is like that's pretty good for Hulk. He's not just smashing, and she's doing all these fancy moves. It's like, oh, it's like I'm just kind of done with this. And again, I haven't seen Thor yet, so I still can't comment. But it's like the trailer turned me off. And the fact that my daughter said, you won't like it, Dad. It's like, uh, it's like just, I want to get back to this. Can you name, I can name one. Can you name anything Marvel's done in this phase that hasn't basically emasculated the male character and raised up the female? That, I'm sorry, one more time? Say that again? Where they've taken the male character. Right. And basically dumbed him down, like emasculated him. Oh, gotcha. Where it's oh, I, like, oh, I see. You know, I he's see. like, oh, you're not so cool. But then they've raised up the female counterpart. Um, Shang-Chi. Yeah, that's a good one. Shang-Chi. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, Shang-Chi that's a good one. They... Yeah. What was your example, Mike? That, uh, Spider-Man. What do you mean? Like, like, I, I mean, it was a Sony movie, but... right. It stayed like hardcore Spider Man all the oh, way. Oh, I see what you're getting. It's, I see what you're getting at. It's Sorry, not like Spider yeah, Girl yeah, yeah. didn't show up. No, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. It, it's like, no, it stayed a Spider Man movie the whole way through. Right, right. And it made a billion dollars. Like, it's mm. like everybody was so excited for that movie. But okay. Yeah, I give Trevor a point for saying Chi because, yeah. I mean, the sister did show up. But she's, she's, she didn't, she didn't fight on the show. She didn't steal yeah, the show. It was still his show. Yeah. Yeah. And in the end, he got all 10 rings. Yeah. Uh, going back to the She-Hulk, uh, you guys are aware that it's going to be nine episodes, right? Yes. You guys are aware that it's going to be half hour episodes? Yes. 
Okay. I am now. Well, there you go. So apparently this is going to be more of a sitcom sort of uh, deal. So, Which um, it should be. Yeah, no, totally especially the She-Hulk character because she is definitely, when John Byrne was doing She-Hulk back, back in the day, that was the thing. And again, yes, that fourth wall was fantastic. The fact that she does a double take is even better. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, um, I think also the whole entire your whole entire thing with Hulk throwing the boulder and then she Hulk throwing it further and all that. I think he's just going, you go like this, right? And then she goes, huh? Like, so she puts enough for extra into it to try and beat her cousin and all that sort of thing, where he's just like a single lob sort of thing, where he obviously could friggin' the boulder could go around the earth sort of thing toss. Yeah. So I think she's, he's playing easy. That, oh, the horn was fantastic. For comedy effect, yeah. Was it necessary for comedy? Yeah, it was. I mean, yeah, so that was great. Yeah, yeah. When I found out that this was going to be like half-hour sitcom episodes, original. I mean, if you look at it, the the John Byrne comics, each comic book was like yeah. a little a little episode mm-hmm. a sitcom episode. Yeah. I mean, occasionally yeah. they'd have a story that would go go across three issues or two yeah. issues, but usually yeah. one issue was all by itself, start to finish. It felt like you. I just yeah. I just read a sitcom. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm 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 really thrilled for that. I mean, I've been a big fan of She-Hulk for like forever. So to see this second trailer and the fact that it's coming out the 17th, I believe, is that it? Um, it's yeah, it's near yeah, the August 17th. Yeah, yeah, 17th. So yeah, so that'll be and again no work. October, right around the time for you know a couple of weeks, and then Wakanda forever. Yeah, and then Wakanda forever. Yeah, yeah. So that's uh, yeah. So that's I exciting. hope they pull it off. Like you know. I want it to be a winner. As long as they keep breaking the fourth wall, I'll be happy because they did it so much in the comic books and it was done so smartly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right. So I think we're going to be calling it a little bit of quits on that sort of thing. Now, I know the uh, the show continues on and after the credits uh, start to roll, we do the whole entire, uh, hey, join us on Facebook, join us on TikTok, go to our YouTube and all that. Uh, but what we really like to do is make sure that uh, we get home that uh, we w- would like you to go to any, whoever you get your podcast from to make sure you subscribe, you share, you put in a nice uh, little rating, which would be kind of cool and give us a comment. It just helps us uh, grow our product and all that sort of thing, which is something that we are actually going to be actually physically pushing towards for the next uh, couple of uh months and all that and we're hoping by fall to get uh, a whole entire nice ball rolling with this whole entire uh planet geek productions sorry little swallow in the back of the throat ran out of drinking I'm so talking i'm not used to i'm not talking to, I'm a little yes. talk about yourselves um not used to this much talking out loud to myself and i've yeah i've definitely run out of something to drink so um so yeah so if you could just again share talk to people about it if they like this sort of meandering sort of thing, we talk about uh, stuff that's uh, pretty current. So if you like this sort of thing, then this is the this thing is the for thing. you. Exactly. Exactly. If you don't, then what are you doing here? Yeah. What are you? Why are you listening to this? You've been listening even to this though you, you paid for your whole seat, you'll only need the edge. Exactly. All right. So on that night, I think on that, on that night, on that note, I think we're going to call folks. it. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> we're going to call it a collective goodbye. In three, three two, one. Collective goodbye. goodbye. Not bad. Not bad. Not bad. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah, it was better. Yeah, yeah. It was it's getting better. Yeah.
All right. All right. Good night, folks. Good night, folks. See you next time. This has been Beacon Off the Page, a Planet Geek production. Please be sure to subscribe, share, rate, and review. You can find us at our social medias through Facebook, YouTube, and TikTok. Search for Planet Geek Productions. On Instagram and Twitter, Planet Geek Pod. Or you can send us an email at planetgeekpod at gmail.com. So until next that time, same spider channel. May the force be with you, and thanks for tuning in. Welcome to Planet Geek. Oh, wow. That's really, you know, it's been forever. I've listened to you guys do it for the past couple of weeks. I'm like, what do you guys say? And like, what do we Greetings, geeks. Yeah, it's just greetings, geeks, right? Welcome to Geeking Up. Yeah. That's right. You got this. Don't worry. The production oh, guy you know we got is really good. He can fix all of this. Yeah, these. we got an editor. Yeah, we got a pretty yeah. half decent editor for that sort of thing. Just, just fix it all in post. All right. Wait a sec. This is being recorded by hosts or a participant. Okay, yeah, I got it. I don't need that on the screen now. Okay, here we go. Let's try this all over again. All right. And in three, two, one. Sort of thing. It's just, it's so entertaining. And okay, someone apparently is listening to this in the background that I can hear. <laughs> but, is that me? Um, yeah. I, well, you're the, I take it, the only one playing uh, Harley Quinn in the background where they've kidnapped. Uh, uh, what's her face in charge of the of uh, uh, the 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 Suicide Squad? So yeah, oh, uh, I'll have to uh, check my audio. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> being uh, episode forty-seven because I don't think uh, we mentioned that up at the top and all that. Um, I just want to say, yeah, I guess that would have been up to me. Yeah, that's what I said, but I'll mm-hmm. just edit it in later and just say that I already said it. Yeah, Trevor, but, come on! Um, didn't you hear that at the beginning? Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. What are you guys talking about? I already said that. Um, 